0: Hello everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And I am happy to have on today Mitchell Kessler. He grew up in a highly devout Brazilian church and he struggled with his sexuality until he realized how scripture was twisted in his church. He recently came out with a book called Broke the Bread Spilled the Tea. How are you today, Mitchell? Hey, Andrew. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course, I'm glad to have you on. And I know we were just talking. I just I love the title. Um of your book, I just, especially <laughs> with, like, bringing together, like, the Broke the Breads from the two the different cultures, and that title together. Oh, um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I think that was t- the, the biggest point of it, too, is just yes. to kind of meld together, you know, since a lot of us do come from that uh, background and mm-hmm. community, it's, you yeah. know, it resonated.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. And so, um, every interview is really getting into the person's background and personal story. And we're definitely going to get into your book. Um, But I think it's always important to start at the beginning. And so explain to me, what was your childhood like regarding religion and how did that affect you?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Brazil. I was born there. And I think in Brazilian families, especially um, religious Brazilian families, I should say, religion has a very strong dynamic in the family relationship. Uh, So, you know, being the basically grandchild and great grandchild of a pastor of a large uh, church community in Brazil, I was constantly in church. I think there's videos even of me traveling around with my uh, parents choir and just, you know, this minuscule human just singing and raising his hands up in worship. And it's always been just a very present part of my life.
0: And so what were the teachings like in the church for you?
1: Uh, The teachings for me, very conservative, uh, very evangelical, uh, Pentecostal kind of teachings. Uh, You know, God is at the center of everything. Uh, Faithfulness to the church is at the center of everything. Uh, And that's, you know, that's kind of how everything kind of revolved around.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And then what were their teachings on sexuality that really affected you?
1: You know, it was very much a taboo teaching. I think it wasn't. Did they
0: not talk about it? yeah they just didn't talk
1: about it i think even like everything that i knew about sexuality didn't even come from my parents per se it always came from you know googling on the internet or friends at school Uh and yeah yeah exactly (laughs) uh so that you know it it was never really spoken of i think it wasn't until like my teen years that the church that i was in kind of was a little bit more open in terms of speaking it within the context of marriage Uh that People were a little bit more comfortable talking about it but even then it was you know past the age already Mm. where i needed that information
0: (laughs) Uh, okay got you yeah that's interesting because i i feel like every church does have those couple of taboo topics you don't mention but the church i grew up in was not afraid (laughs) to talk about sexuality at all Uh, so it's just interesting to see the different religious cultures and how they approach or don't approach (laughs) um certain things. Um, and so I can imagine, um, I'm sure, you know, in the church, they probably talked about this very or pushed this very heteronormative narrative anyways, without talking about sexuality explicitly. But so with you, I know you identify as bisexual, right? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. And so like how did you grapple with your sexuality not even having the terms or the education around it? Like what was that like navigating? yeah Um, absolutely Um,
1: so in terms of you know within the church itself obviously they would preach homosexuality was wrong though it was never kind of like a something that was preached from the pulpit it was always more so a community consensus Mm, right yeah so growing up when i started feeling those things and i kind of knew from an early early age um, I just suppressed it. I just thought, you know, oh, this is my sinful nature coming up. It's it's not natural. I'm just gonna get even more involved in the church and hopefully these feelings will go away. God will take these away, you know? And it just never happened.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I'm sure you know, just reading a little bit about your book, it sounds like you did really have to deconstruct a lot of Um, different teachings around sexuality, and so I'm just curious about your deconstruction uh, journey regarding um, the church's views on sexuality.
1: Yeah, so I I kind of speak a little bit about this in the book as well. I think my moment of deconstruction began uh, when I started to observe and realize the amount of hypocrisy that was in the church, Uh, At one point, I was engaged to a woman, uh, loved her very much. Everything was going well. But then things just kind of strayed away to where we had to get a divorce. Uh, And I got married at that point as well. Uh, So we divorced. And I think at that point, the entire church that I had grown up with kind of turned on me and absolutely just like took sides in the relationship. that was none of their business. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I started seeing that hypocrisy in full swing, you know. Uh, It wasn't just about, you know, the the very flamboyant gay guy who would walk into the church and people Mm -hmm. would like pretend to be nice, but then like keep their distance. It wasn't about, you know, the person who came from like a drug background and, you know, they tried to preach to them. And if it didn't work, they pushed them away. Now, all of a sudden, it was this person that, you know, I grew up with them. I prayed with them. I preached to them and still they turned on me and that's that's when it clicked like you know there's something wrong here
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and did every did anyone condemn you like in person like verbally obviously through their actions they communicate a lot but did anyone i'm curious approach you because i know like divorce is like in these very conservative churches are very serious thing to them at least it's such a big deal for some reason um but you know i think sadly a lot of these people have very a very black and white mindset and so they don't understand the complexities of why people get divorced like you know abuse may not even be considered in like a lot of instances or it's just diminished um because the person needs to protect themselves i mean i don't know why you got divorced and like you don't have to go into that at all but you know it's of any reason is valid honestly because it's your life your relationship you should be able to have that choice um to do that but it's interesting because the church that i grew up in if you got divorced and like you didn't you weren't the one who started it then there wasn't as much condemnation or looking down the person at least um but that person was expected to not get remarried (laughs) either yeah so yeah it was just like a
1: crazy ideal i it's just doesn't make sense to me uh, you know I tried to make it work with the person that I was with as well. And it just didn't Mm -hmm. work out. So it didn't make sense for me to Mm -hmm. continue something that was going to make both of us miserable, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And I think, yeah, there there was a lot of that where since Mm -hmm. I was the one who initiated the divorce, I'm the one who got the brunt of the, Mm -hmm. you know, the shunning. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So and Mm -hmm. people just didn't even bother try to like understand. They just... Mm -hmm very stuck in those ways of like oh, okay yeah you did something wrong you're the one who initiated we're not gonna associate ourselves with you that kind of thing
0: mm, yes and so did that cause you to leave that church or did you stay it longer
1: yeah absolutely i think you know that and the fact that i was still grappling with my sexuality uh, it just, you know, the divorce was kind of like the, the straw in the camel's back to where I was like, okay, this isn't, I, you know, this is not the community that's going to be conducive to my spirituality and to my mental health. So I just left. Uh, and, you know, as time went on, as I was grappling with my sexuality, I'm very much a huge uh, research person. And especially when it comes to theology, I, I very much want to, you know, base my decisions based on the facts of theology. Uh, And after doing a lot of researching for a long, long time, you know, I realized, okay, there's a lot here in the Bible that's, you know, being misconstrued within the church setting. Um, And that's how I kind of came to accept myself as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. And could you, could you dig a little bit into how like specific verses and things are misconstrued? Because I think people definitely find that interesting. And I'm sure you've learned a lot about the clobber verses and different things. So if you could dig. A little bit into that
1: yeah absolutely it's it's you know in the book itself i kind of take each clobber verse each of the six ones that are um you know in the bible and kind of dissect them and give you the context and everything but one specific one that people always tend to want to go back to is in romans one um and what people don't understand is that you know the book of romans was written in a sort of letter right in a letter format to the romans uh, and let's say that, you know, I gave you a letter that I was sending to a Brazilian friend of mine, how coxinhas are the best thing uh, in Amor pedaços pedazos mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. You don't know what that is, right? You don't yeah, understand right. what no.
0: context. No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so like you need that cultural context in order to understand the message of the letter. Right. Mm-hmm. And in Rome at that time, pagan very rampant, uh, and specifically the verses that where he's talking about, you know, the the men switching their natural desires for men, he was specifically alluding to certain cults in the Roman Empire who did certain practices uh, that Mm -hmm. involved homosexual rituals, uh, but those specifically were ritualistic practices in worship to that specific pagan god. So specifically, I'm talking about the, uh, they call their the Magna Mater uh, or Sibel, who, you know, the priests would usually be androgynous. They would throw this huge uh, festival every year where the priests being initiated would mm-hmm. uh, essentially have orgies and, you know, off testicles and throw it at this idol in, in worship to that idol. And so when... Paul was mentioning that to the Romans, and also in that verse saying stuff like, you know, you switch the image of God for uh, things that look like beasts and animals. He was talking about these different cults that the Romans of the time would immediately come to mind. Okay, like, okay, he's talking about that thing that happens every year here in our city. You know what I mean? But people tend to get the Bible and they want to apply it to a modern context when that's not how it was meant to be
0: read. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and so in the book, is it kind of an analysis of just the verses and the theology or is it a mix of your story and the theology of the verses or what is the approach you take to your book?
1: Yeah, it's a mix of everything. I talk a lot about my, um, my experience in the beginning. Uh, and then I just kind of go into the history of the church itself and how, you know, throughout history, the Bible has been used, uh, in, for mm, purposes of manipulation. Yeah you know how a lot of paganism has been mixed with uh christian practices and you know that yeah that whole mm-hmm. the whole like context yeah. show goes to show you that you know doctrines aren't set in stone and if mm. you need that context in order to properly yeah. interpret it
0: mm-hmm. yeah and so i'm just curious what kind of reactions have you had to your book <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you're like oh no.
1: uh, <laughs> that's the money question um You know, I've been getting a lot of reviews in from uh, NetGalley, Goodreads and all that, of people reading and saying, you know, how they wish that they had read this book when they were grappling with their own sexuality. And those are the kind of reviews that I hang on to, um, because I know that, you know, the book is making an impact and people are finding truth in it, right? But then, of course, there are those who uh, <laughs> are the not so nice comments, especially on on Facebook ads and such um, of, mm. you know, just people stuck in their ways, calling me a child of Satan, calling me <laughs> false. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, a false prophet and just all sorts of nasty things but without even picking up the book to read it. Right.
0: Mm, yeah like they I think don't, people are just, yeah. they don't they want to question like it yeah a lot of these people are you know they put their security and certainty they feel comfortable and they think exactly. a lot of they think their their interpretation is set in stone is exactly right and perfect and they won't budge anywhere because if they budge in one place what's to stop to budge them or question other things and i think just, oh my, God, all these reliance on strict interpretation and roles. It's just fundamentalist um, ideology. Um, and it's just interesting because a lot of those hateful things and comments is really like a, just they're projecting um, their inner issues um, onto your work and into your life, really. Like, I think, really, like the message that they're sending is that you disagree with me or you're making me question my beliefs are evil you're like you're making me down no stop i can't
1: yeah and I, you know i think that's the sad part about it i feel like you've reached the point in uh traditional christianity that mm. has become so fragile that people yes. are scared to question you know they're scared to question that because they're so sad in that and it's one of, mm-hmm. i think it's one of the things i mentioned in the book as well throughout history whenever there has been like a revival in terms of christianity it's always been because people have been digging into scriptures questioning scriptures Mm -hmm. studying and finding new insight into god's word and people are just afraid to do that nowadays you know Mm -hmm. complacency is i guess is the key word here
0: oh yes that is i i've I've talked with a missionary friend about that how we've seen a lot of complacency um in churches today uh, because we were kind of talking about what issues we've had with like the current Christian culture in America. And I think that was one thing we talked about complacency. We see a lot of people set in their ways, they don't want to change. And we, you know, as I was talking with this person, we see a lot of people use religion as an excuse to not to grow. <laughs> yes. Um, to not use critical thinking or to push themselves um, to, just in the personal growth areas in general. Like, you know what, like, I'm just, I've seen so many people use the excuse to just wait on God to just not do anything. <laughs> when there are steps they could have taken a of free will to change their life or make things better. It's like, okay, I'm like, whatever.
1: One hundred percent. And I guess it's a, it's a psychology of it, right? Like the path of least resistance is mm. usually what people cling on to. That is based on true. what they've been told. Yeah. If it's, you know, if it's easy, I'll take it. That's what they say.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I don't relate to that at all. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm, like, I'm all about personal growth and like going on your comfort zone and growing and all that stuff. Um, Because I think, I guess my fear in life is that I, you know, if I come to the end of my life and I would be like, oh, well, I didn't try enough things. I didn't do enough things. I didn't take enough risks. I think if i keep living my life the way i am i don't think i'm gonna feel that way when i finally get to my death
1: 100 but... no absolutely um, and it's it's i guess it's one of those things like we should always be questioning right mm, i yeah. think even even jesus if we're taking it back to religion even jesus yeah. back when he had his disciples mm. he would never give them a straight up answer he would always mm. just answer with a question
0: yeah it's so interesting because he want yeah he wanted you to think and You know, I think it's funny how a lot of fundamentalists don't see that they behave a lot like Pharisees. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I call fundamentalists the modern day Pharisees. And it's just interesting how, you know, they want these black and white answers for everything. But like you were saying in the Gospels, Jesus wasn't really like that. He wasn't really trying to push a specific way. Just literally like love one another, (laughs) be kind Exactly. I, think, I think, you know, Jesus led by example, you know, in the Bible and like, you know, actions speak louder than words. Um, I don't care how much you tell me, like if someone comes up to me like, oh, I'm a really great Christian. I do this, this and this and this. I go to church every Sunday, bring my Bible every day. It's like, I don't care if you have this stupid checklist. Like, how do you actually treat people who are different than you? How are you actually trying to help those in need? Like, do your actions match with your beliefs? 100%. And, and I think there's like a lot of cognitive dissonance in these environments yeah. too. Oh, absolutely. Um, so much. Um, and I'm just curious, like what originally inspired you to write the book? Cause I, I know there are a few other books that tackle at these issues, but like, why did you decide to write your own and how did you approach it in a different way?
1: Yeah, so it's a very interesting story of how kind of came about to be um I think it was after a certain Christmas my aunt who was lesbian she gave me a call and she told me um, you know God spoke to me uh, and he told us that he told me that we're wrong and I'm like wait what do you mean we're wrong <laughs> uh, please elaborate and then she's an EMT so at the time she got an emergency call and she's like I'll call you later and I'll talk to you later and I'm like Oh no <laughs> at that point i was like oh no am i yeah you know, is everything being flipped upside down right now and then when she did call back she put me at ease and she was like no we're wrong because we've been wasting so much time trying to convince people who are so set in their ways that we forget that there's a community out there uh, of people like us mm, who yeah. need to hear that love who need to hear that affirmation and who need to you know experience that uh, revelation that we've experienced and I think that's when it clicked for me, like I need to do something about this. And you know, I've read a lot of those other books as well. And one of the things that I aim to do with this book is to make it very much credible in terms of the resources and sources that I researched for it. Um, only researching academic journals from credible sources. I put put all of those also in the bibliography and just getting all of that information of thousands and thousands of years and compressing it in a way that's super simple to understand for any person. Uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to do in every section after I break down the, the gay bashing verses, I, I do this little section called uh, the church's crumbs versus you know, spilling the tea. And in the church's crumbs, I yeah. put out their their view on the topic. And then when I say spilling the tea, I just kind of uh, you know give a little summary of everything we've kind of covered and I, that's my goal just to make it super easy to understand and digestible for people.
0: Yes, that's great because I think it's something um a lot of people need because you know, I'm not the kind of person to argue with people at all about religion or theology because I know it doesn't go anywhere. Um I think i um, just connecting with people and sharing your story is really important but arguing about like what you believe or trying And, you know, for me right now, like I'm agnostic. I don't, I don't really believe in an absolute truth. Like there's only one way to live your life. I'm like, you know, only you know what's best for you and what's healthy. And if you want religion, if you don't, if you want to try a different religion or maybe more progressive version of your religion or something. Um, And so it's been interesting because. I've had a few and like I've kind of gotten these people out of my life but I tried to still keep some Christian friends in my life especially ones that were more progressive um because you know I did enjoy those friendships but it was just interesting for me um to really realize how little they questioned their faith or dug into theology or scripture and they were like yeah they're like I love you Andrew but The Bible is very clear about this issue. Homosexuality, I don't approve. (laughs) And I don't fight with them. I'm like, part of me is like, okay, like, have you actually looked? Like, I I know a lot of these clobber verses in the research, but they don't even care enough to go and research um, how things have been translated and mistranslated, really. And the context of things, because they really don't want to. They really don't. It's just they're they're biased already and they want to use scripture to back that up. So I've kind of moved on from this people like, well, like they're set in their ways and that. So it's whatever. And so I think so much harm has been done and not questioning the status quo or not rejecting the status quo. Like, you know, think about segregation. <laughs> um yes. just how scripture was used over and over. And there were pastors that said the Bible is very clear about segregation. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And I- now that's completely changed no one even talks about that anymore um unless you pick up a book on like religion and segregation different things like there are history books in, on it that you can buy now it's not in the american <laughs> um curriculum i don't think or obviously the christian homeschool ones is not in there <laughs>
1: no absolutely um, and it's not it's not the first time that the church's doctrines have mm-hmm. been wrong you know yeah it's sure. like and I, I was even seeing I, for the book, I had researched this. It's everything from anti-Semitism, um, you know, during the Inquisition.
0: Oh, in the yes.
1: It's like there's been so many things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the church has just misinterpreted. And people don't realize that, yes, the the church may be, quote unquote, God's representative on earth. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I emphasize the quote there, but it doesn't excuse them from making mistakes.
0: You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah that's interesting because an environment that i grew up to even suggest that something could have been mistranslated is just heresy <laughs> to begin with um and you know i grew up in the kind of church it was um a kjb only church oh, so like yeah. in james version um to them they, that was like the only legitimate word of god everything else was like heresy and false so it was absolutely perfect and when I began to actually research into inerrancy, and because for me, there were just so many different claims made about their rigid rules and belief system or approach to it. And a lot of things in religion you can't really prove or disprove, but there are a few things you can, like you can prove or disprove the inerrancy or the perfection. And if not even everyone claims that, that's not a claim that all Christians make anyway, but the more extremist ones say, this is absolutely perfect, no mistakes, scientifically, historically correct, no contradictions um, or anything. And so once I actually started to look into that and kind of realize how easy it was uh, to find contradictions and learn about mistranslations and things, I think that was when, because really like fundamentalism used the Bible as like, a weapon against me it has so much control over me which it sounds like you related to how you were taught a certain view of scripture and you had to deconstruct that because it had that perspective you were taught has such an emotional and strong impact on your life and i think you know, we really do need the people who are going the question because so many awful things have happened throughout history because people just conformed, didn't question. <laughs> and, you know, we can obviously like Hitler is an example, a very strong example of people not questioning and going along. And, you know, then we have more recent with like QAnon <laughs> and Trump and the insurrection yes. and all these things. Um, as we see yeah, just how powerful and really like, I think, Another thing which I've been really learning about is that people really need to be educated (laughs) on cults (laughs) and mind control tactics and cult leaders and the signs, the red flags. And I think it is something that is fun. It can be more mainstream, especially as we have a lot more documentaries (laughs) coming out about cults and things. And it's interesting because I work for the Indoctrination podcast um which is hosted by rachel bernstein she's a cult expert so i've been able to like listen to her podcast i learned a lot from her personally too um about cults and then order different books and things and dig into it and like it's really shocking when you realize how much of a cult mindset can really go out into society and like you know it's not exclusive to religion um, Absolutely. and it's interesting to see how these mindset, like even with like multi-level marketing groups, like there have been a lot of cultic things, but that's an example yes. that's not religious, a lot of that. And even sadly with like therapy groups that have happened, yoga, there are yoga cults, <laughs> there are just, and there are political cults that like so many different things. So once people can actually start to question, educate themselves and claim autonomy, that's when I feel like these institutions will not have this extreme control. And I feel like, you know, for a long time, the church has been losing control over the population in America. And that's really, really motivated um, the church in America to push Christian nationalism, which we've seen infiltrating the government in the US.
1: Which is ironic, right? Because the more that you try to push it to people, the more they're, you know, they feel that Mm -hmm. disdain towards God. I I have this like, I have this little saying, people kind of find a little scandalous, but I I keep saying, like, the devil's on vacation because the church is doing enough to push people away from God.
0: Oh, that's so funny. I mean, it's true, though, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. Like, there's so many, that's just the, I don't know. Have you read Jesus and John Wayne? No. Oh, my gosh, that is that is a yes, a must read book. It really digs into uh, the evangelicalism, the history of it, and how it kind of led to the current Christian culture in America and how it led to Trump and the Christian nationalism that's that's going on now. But I learned a lot of things that I did not know yeah I um, have to check that, that out evangelicalism and like there's a recent another book it's called the cult of trump which is really interesting um too it's by stephen hassan who is a cult expert and um he he became a cult expert because he was recruited into the moonies i think in like the 80s or something and i think he was like in it for a decade before like so has someone had like a cult intervention i think with him and helped him get out of it wow. and you know when he got out of it he's like how how were they able to control me <laughs> and so he's yeah. really con- he's contributed a lot of work to um researching mind control and like he he developed the um the bite model of cultic groups which it's an acronym and it stands for behavior control information control thought control and emotional or emotion control oh, wow. and he, he kind of goes over the broader categories how they control These different aspects of your life, Um, really, and like cult experts have learned this because really just by studying cults and working with people who left cults and talk about their experiences and putting labels on what happened or what was the motivation behind that and kind of working through it. And so, yeah, cult education expertise has been really has made a lot of progress really in the last thirty years. Our I would say, and needs a would you one.
1: say that you agree that, you know, it, it kind of all comes down to three main elements, which would be love, acceptance and the desire to be unique, I think you know mm.
0: i think uh, those yes.
1: things are what drives a lot whether it's religion yes
0: whether it's cult, uh, whether it's cult, those yeah. three things yes i've done a lot of research especially like there's a book i have called the um, um the psychology of religious fundamentalism and it really digs into why people get caught into these destructive and cult-like environments and it's very so much what you just wrote but they they go into like the need for purpose the need yes. for community um the need for feeling special like what you just said too so there are all these psychological needs that these religions meet and it's just it's an emotional addiction a high exactly exactly. Um, and i think there i think there is such thing as a healthy religion i definitely do Um, but i think people don't need to balance critical thinking (laughs) with their religion and not just go into it blindly and just go with You know the nearest leader and just follow their emotions. And I've just seen so many people interpret their emotions for God, and they just make terrible decisions. Absolutely, Um, I know recently, like someone said. Anyways, I'm not gonna. Let's see. I'm just trying to. Figure out how I can talk about this person without them knowing that I'm talking about them, <laughs> just in case. I'm like, so I'm just going to say that there's a person who decided to quit their job and become a youth pastor for a church. And they gave up a pension and all these nice perks of their job to be a youth pastor because it felt like that's what God was doing in their lives. And then that person, soon after, like not even probably a year later, got fired from that role. Oh, no. And because they weren't a good fit for it. And yeah. I don't know. No one, no one could read the room that no one wanted this person to be a youth pastor anyways. Like, I remember voting that night in church. We were voting for this person, the pastor. And I literally wrote in the ballot. I was like, literally anyone else. Like, please. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like They did not listen to me. So, <laughs> but no. there were there was just a lot of reasons why this leader did not need to be in his position. But he yeah. was fired not long after but i think sadly these cult-like environments completely cut you off from yourself and your rationality and that critical thinking and really like it really like uh, you know as i've read it really reduces emotional intelligence um psychological development intellectual development so it really these cult-like very controlling environments um stop those things and it makes it easier really easy to control you when all of those things are underdeveloped or stagnated absolutely um, i
1: think i think it comes down to also if you are in some of those toxic environments you know everything that is preached at you kind of mm, run it through a filter like, yeah is this going going mm-hmm. to cause me some sort of physical mental harm is yeah. this going to cause someone else you know any sort of mental or physical yeah. harm mm-hmm. i think that's you know and it kind of it's funny because it coincides with what the Bible says when Jesus says that the mm. two greatest commandments is love God and love your yeah. neighbor. People uh-huh. have to skip over that because, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I think there was one verse in the Bible that I did, I do still really like. And it's just something that evangelicalism and fundamentalists just never could get a hold of. And it was just, you know, the whole, I think it was something like the whole law is fulfilled in this love your neighbor yourself yes. or something like that something exactly. like loving it's like that's it i'm like that's all you have to do you fuckers. exactly That's
1: something along the line of like uh, all the other laws and prophets hang on this like uh, love god love your neighbor. that's it not yeah, like
0: this <laughs> and it's like uh but no human nature has definitely uh messed with a lot of religions um human general. corruption in general yeah i think it's so mm. it's
1: so easy to have power over people mm. when they fear what yeah. comes after you know what mm. comes after life oh, i think yeah. it's super mm-hmm. simple to to
0: manipulate in that sense yeah mm-hmm. um so as we get towards the end of our interview i'm just curious what advice do you have for people who are stuck in these toxic religious environments
1: i would say start questioning it uh if not to someone that you trust and love then to yourself just start questioning it and I think that the more you question, the more you're going to seek out answers. And the more you seek out those answers, the more you'll be affirmed in the decision that you have of like leaving it or finding another community, whatever it may be.
0: And just another quick question. Do you have like book recommendations for people who are deconstructing their faith but still want to keep the faith that they have but just change it?
1: Yeah, I the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines is always one I kind of go to. Uh, his book specifically is you know kind of the opposite in terms of he tries to have that reformation within the church and tries to present the evidence mm-hmm. there. So yeah. that's a really good one. And then Unclobber by Colby Martin
0: oh, yes. well mm-hmm. is
1: another really good mm-hmm. one that opened my eyes a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So thank you so much, Mitchell, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed um, this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so
1: much for having me. It's it's been a great conversation for sure.
0: Of course. And like anyone listening, um, I'm going to put his link, the link to his book in the show notes. Please check it out. Um, Thank you for listening. This was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon, and the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.